the reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 8, reading verses 9 to 11. I invite your uh, attention and hearing of God's word, both in reverence and in faith, from Romans chapter 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Remember a number of years ago, uh, one of the duties of parents is to hear sales pitches from the friends of your sons. And so young man asked me if he could uh, give me a sales pitch on knives. Oh, great. But kept my mouth shut, held my tongue and heard the sales pitch. And ladies and gentlemen, these knives would never break. They were guaranteed forever. And I'm, you don't want to know what I was thinking at the time, but I, while I'm still halfway on the turnip truck, I know it's going to be interesting to see how long these knives last. And sure enough, I mean, I bought two, just the duty of a parent. The way it is. You You have sons and they have friends and, well, you know the rest. Well, I still have both of those knives. They're both broken. They broke early in their tenure at the Bowersox house. I keep them as a reminder that of all the guarantees of men and companies and all of the promises that come from whatever venue, that there are no guarantees except the promises of God. Men will fail. God does not. His word does not break. It is forever. And it's important because we live, I believe, in an age that's starved for security, for guarantees, for certainty. Uh, Even in our faith, even in the church, modernism and liberalism have swept away entire denominations. So how can we really know for sure if our final salvation is genuine? And how can we really have the assurance that the promises of our final salvation are true? And the answer, of course, is uh, from the Trinity, uh, from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that what they do is sure and certain and that what they do is forever and never breaks. Uh, In verse 9, the apostle tells us that assurance comes from our status as the sons of God in the work of the Spirit. The contrast, of course, is our previous text, verses 5 to 8, the natural man was dominated by the flesh, His fallen nature owns him. 
Uh, the Apostle Paul says of all men outside of Christ that they are children of wrath. But we're not in the flesh because our status has changed and Christ changed it. We're in the Spirit. In that sense, a decisive transfer of dominion from flesh to spirit has occurred by the Spirit. There's one exception in this text. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. My point that is the decisive guarantee from the text is if you have the Son, you have the Spirit. Because they both work in tandem and in a beautiful unison that you get both, if you will, Son and Spirit. Many churches believe that you come to faith in Christ and there's a second work of grace or at some point uh, you get the Spirit. Paul is telling us that if you have the Son, you have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, neither do you have the Son. The blessing of God. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, of course, the, the verb here, dwelling, uh, is the decisive point, I think, of the text, of our change in status and the work of the Spirit. Uh, the word for dwelling, as you know, comes uh, in Greek and English from the word for house. So that when we come to Christ, the Spirit moves in and takes up residence. not something uh, that is separate from coming to Christ. We come to Christ, the Spirit moves in. Now, I know some of you, and some of you have um, purchased homes. And uh, generally, uh, when you buy a home, um, you, you do some remodeling, don't you? Sometimes you do a little, sometimes you do a lot. I suspect over time, uh, the remodeling is an ongoing process. You tear out carpet, you paint walls. I mean, I don't know. You know those things sometimes better than me. The point is that when the Spirit of God moves into your heart and life and takes up residence, He begins to remodel your life. Over time and in degree, it's just a necessity of the divine operation of the Spirit of God. It's a process theologically we refer to as sanctification. My point from the text of the guarantee, you come to the Son, you get the Spirit. You get the Spirit. He begins to remodel. It's a great promise of the Scriptures. The product of the grace of God. John Murray uh, correctly affirms that we are now under the direction and control of the Spirit. And that relationship, Murray says, is inseparable. Now that's a guarantee from the Word of God, inseparable. The Spirit, taking residence, never leaves. Therefore, it's not a temporary arrangement. One of the great implicit promises of the Scripture. When He moves in, He moves in to stay. Because God does forever. It's a great illustration of this in 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you have your New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Uh, the Apostle Paul, of course, uh, writing uh, in that text says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So we're not just an ordinary house. We're the temple of God. And the point of the indwelling of the Spirit and remodeling is, is that He comes to take that which is common and ordinary and make it sacred. Because God dwells in the sacred. The majesty of God. The preeminence of what He does. He begins to make us sacred. To fit us out is a worthy place where the living God lives and dwells as the temple of God. There are many people in the church that believe that the temple is going to be some future geographic reality in the Near East. I believe it's a present reality of inaugurated eschatology. You come to Christ, the Spirit comes to dwell. And where does the Spirit dwell? dwells in a temple that he's going to make sacred, worthy of his habitation. Of course, if we are the temple, then we should live accordingly, which is exactly what we find in the scriptures. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. It's kind of a list of uh, things that are not uh, places or people where God dwells. That is verse 10, but verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now, the greatness of the work of God moves in makes changes, takes what is common and ordinary, makes it sacred. And by the way, that's the essence of the doctrine of sanctification. Uh, God takes what is common and begins to make it sacred. Uh, you've ever read, and I'm sure you have the book of Corinthians, you know that it was the church that had a lot of problems. And Paul is going to address them with the word of God. But it's also very interesting that Paul is entirely confident that God will affect the necessary changes. And early does he document just that. Still in 1 Corinthians, turn back to the first chapter. I'm going to read verses 7 and 8 so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a guarantee. That's a promise. It's going to make you blameless to the end. Paul is not affirming perfection on our part. But he is confirming our status as sons and that the Spirit of God dwells in us because we are His temple. He is also asserting perfection on behalf of the work of God. Confirmation of this is in the fact that 
If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have the Son. Because Son and Spirit work together. The reality is that when someone comes to Christ, as I've suggested time and again, the Spirit moves in. And then they all work in total harmony as a unified tandem. It's an implied assurance and guarantee of our salvation because the Spirit lives within us. Confirm us to the end, blameless. Many in the Protestant church, as you know, contend that the gift of the Spirit is a second work of grace. There is no second work of grace. There is one mighty, continuous work of grace. From the beginning to the end, God is gracious to his sons and daughters. There are many in the church, as you know, that affirm that we can fall away from the faith. If you will, the Spirit moves in and then He leaves. I think the text here is affirming that He moves in and that He stays. And He takes what is common and makes it sacred. Because God does forever. Men do temporal. The things that men do break. Their promises, even though well-intentioned, ultimately will fail. That doesn't apply to God because he's God. He cannot fail. His promises are sure and certain. And God will see us to the end. And so the assurance comes from our status as sons. Because Christ will not lose us. He did not win us at the cross only to lose us. No, he dispatches the Spirit as an assurance to us that his work will continue unabated great promise of God. Verses 10 and 11, the Trinity guarantees guarantees our bodily resurrection at the end of the age. It's a guarantee. I'm always uh, angered in my contemporary state of affairs when I receive a phone call and it's another opportunity to buy an extended warranty on my automobile. How many of those phone calls have you received? I seem like, what is the deal? I go to call blocker, and call blocker doesn't work for me. I keep getting them. It's as if they bounce around all over the United States of America to reach out to me and to anger me at a certain point in time. You know, it's a you know, 36,000 miles. We guarantee it, Power Socks. Minus, of course, labor costs. I mean, always, isn't there always a condition? God promises a resurrection. The end of the age is guaranteed. Because of our position in Son and Spirit that engage sanctification and perseverance. I'm not necessarily, uh, on this beautiful day, absenting that we participate. Uh, Paul will stress that beginning in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. What he's now dealing, detailing for us is the beauty of the participation and the unity and harmony of Father, Son, and Spirit. The affirmation here is that Christ is in you. Notice verse 10. If Christ is in you, 
Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. It's a condition, of course. It doesn't apply to everyone. It applies to those Christ is in you. If you're not a Christian, it's my sad duty to tell you it's uh, the assurance of the resurrection to eternal life and the joys of everlasting life in the presence of eternal love in God do not apply to you. You must have the Son. If you have the Son, you get the Spirit. If you will, it's an implicit, uh, compelling reason uh, to go to the Savior and to uh, sue for peace, to ask Him to save you, to be gracious to you. Yeah. What follows, of course, is if He is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. That because of sin, our physical bodies are going to die. It's a guarantee. Just things are going to break. I know that some of you have the beautiful privilege of being fairly young adults. Uh, But I can promise you, certainly from this text, things are going to break over time and in degree. Just the way life works. And it's not just because of biology. It's because of the fall of Adam. It's the guarantee that in Adam's fall, we sinned all. And our physical bodies are going to break. But the point of assurance here is that the promises of God of resurrection of the end of the age are sure and certain because God does forever. From the moment of birth, the principle of entropy is engaged that we are breaking up just a matter of time. I'm not trying to depress you. Just because of the fall, that's the way it is. It's a compelling reason to flee to the Savior that sin introduced death. Among other things, thorns and thistles in life, But in our culture, as you know, death is a biological event. It is because of the fall. Death is a sentence we all live under, so that what is our assurance of final salvation? Paul speaks to that in this very text, that the countervailing power of our death is that because of righteousness, the Spirit is life. The physical body is going to fail. Countervailing power is that the Spirit gives us life and begins to work life. Again, verse 10. Uh, The reference to righteousness here, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness, is a reference to the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. That God in His sovereign grace charged the very righteousness of His Son to our account. Totally undeserved. Totally unmerited. Totally unable to work for it or earn it. But He earned it for us and then charged it to our account as His sons. So that due to our position in Him, we are declared righteous. As you know from the messages on Romans 5 and 6, it's a legal declaration from the court of God. 
declaration that the sons of God are righteous because of the righteousness of the Son of God. And based on this, the Spirit will counteract the principle of death with the principle of life that will eventuate in our resurrection from the grave. Entropy is a terrible thing. The greater promise that we have as the sons of God is that the Spirit's going to defeat it. Great promise. The beauty of the promise. That as our health fails, or if we are in an automobile accident and severely wounded, the Spirit is life and will counteract it and engage us to the end and ensure our resurrection at the end of the age. I mean, think of the promises of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And along with this text, the assurance, the promise of the final resurrection will catch us up by the power of God. These uh, promises, of course, ensure our recovery at the end of the age. Based on what? Son and Spirit. I'm always amazed by those in the Christian faith, the genuine uh, though they may be, who always uh, attempt in their good motives, I guess, to base it upon uh, our works to make it happen. It's the work of God that will make it happen. It's the work of the Trinity that is the guarantee and that God does forever. Everything else will break. That's why it's uh, my belief that uh, those who are of the uh, semi-Pelagian or Arminian persuasion in the Christian realm really have no hope whatsoever. Because ultimately they believe if they don't work hard enough, they can fall away. Our promise is that when the Spirit moves in, he never leaves. And he will make the common, ordinary, sacred as a fitting place for him to live because we are, Paul says, the temple of the living God. In other words, our recovery, our final assurance and resurrection is inextricably linked to Father, Son, and Spirit. For us, and in us. For us is Christ upon the cross. In us is the Spirit of God who has moved in and who will not leave. And if we can fall away, then God can fail. But God does not fail. And therefore, He will keep us to the end. We will persevere. We will persevere because of him who lives within us. The Trinitarian aspect of our uh, salvation and of the great promise is completed in verse 11. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. The conditional clause identifies us. If the Holy Spirit of the Father raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then what He did for Jesus, He will do for you. Let me say that again. What He did for Jesus in the resurrection, He will do for you in the final resurrection at the end of the age. Remember, uh, verse 9, He's moved in. We are His residents. And the Father, the one who raised Jesus' humanity from the dead, will act again as He did for His only begotten Son. He will do for all of His adopted sons. He will act again. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. I'm always amazed by people who um, are buying another guarantee for their automobiles. Another guarantee for all the appliances in their home. You've seen that ad, I'm sure. Every appliance, you buy this, you buy this product and your washing machine breaks, we'll, we'll get you a new one. I wonder. I'm sure in a measure it's true. But one thing for sure, the best of doctors cannot promise that you will live forever. That is the peculiar providence of the God of all grace who will raise his sons by his power. So this is the very resurrection power that caught up the humanity of Jesus is our guarantee. And we know that humanity was raised. Over 500 witnesses, Paul tells us, time and again. What he did to his sons, he will do for all of his adopted sons. And he will make us alive through his spirit dwelling in us. As translated, the, uh, uh, the verb uh, make us alive uh, is in the future tense. And because God is the subject, it's an implied guarantee. When I'm the subject of any verb, I'll either muck it up or fail to deliver. Great uh, phrase, uh, Best of men are men at best. None of that applies to God. When God is the subject, the action of the verb is a guarantee. One of the aspects, not always the future tense, but certainly always when God is the subject, is certainty. It will occur. And since God is omnipotent and sovereign, it will come to pass. Irreversible promise, intractable promise, an immutable promise that cannot change because God does not change. 
One of the reasons as Christians we study the attributes of God is to understand the way that he works with us. He is immutable, and therefore his promises do not morph and dwell. They don't change because he's God. that our mortal bodies will be pulled inside out into irreversible and eternal glory. Uh, this verb is used in uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 17. So let's turn back to Romans chapter 4, and verse 17. The context is um, Abraham's uh, inability to procreate and Sarah's inability to conceive and birth because of their advanced age. But even in their advanced age, think about it in terms of the history. Abraham, the promise of God, did he not? Will it or will it not happen? You know the story. Sarah, Sarah hears the reduplication of promise and she laughs. Why does she laugh? Because she knows her advanced age. She's long since past the age of being able to conceive. Let's read Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. As it is written, the father of many nations have I made you in the sight of him who believed even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. He promises, give us life. And so he does. It's a great construct. I'm not going to go there because I have on numerous occasions of Ezekiel's vision of the valley of dry bones. The explicit question, how can these bones live? They can't unless the breath of God breathes upon them and gives them life. Immediate fulfillment of that promise is the return of Israel from the Babylonian captivity. The ultimate fulfillment belongs to us. The end of the age. Every grave of a son of God, when everything is but powder, the majesty of the power of God will enter and resurrect and make life because of the power inherent in God himself, who has all power. How can that be? With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible, even resurrection. John chapter 5, verse 21. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Notice, notice the tandem between Father and Son, the unity of the Trinity, accomplishing our salvation. It promises at the end of the age it will not fail. Notice the sovereignty of the Son. Gives life to whom he wishes. The great blessing that when you know Jesus Christ, you come to know that one of the reasons is certain is because he bestowed it upon you in sovereign grace. 
not based upon anything within you or without you, but solely on the good pleasure of his will. He gives life to those whom he wishes. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 63. It's the Spirit who gives life. The Spirit who gives life. It's a parallel to the theology of Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 11. The Spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. So again, think of, think of the Trinity. In uh, John 5, we have the Father and the Son. Here in John 6, we have the Spirit. Each person of the eternal Godhead acting in total concert. It's a guarantee of our resurrection at the end of the age. I would remind you that these texts uh, are an affirmation that it's God who dispenses grace. I say that because in the Roman Catholic Church, it's the church that dispenses grace. I'm not unmindful that the church is a means of grace, to be sure. But God who gives it. And that God doesn't give it willy-nilly. He gives it, and then he affects it and makes it happen. In Son and Spirit. The beauty or the promise of assurance. The greatest guarantee of all time. And I don't know about you, but I suspect most of you are of the age that you understand that your knives are going to break. Your car is going to eventually fail and you'll have to buy a new one. Your appliances are eventually going to fail. God doesn't fail. God does forever. He not only begins, what he begins, he finishes. Therefore, to our salvation is pledged three persons of the Godhead. A cognate of uh, the verb to make alive is uh, used in that great salvation text of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5. Paul says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. Reference, of course, is to our spiritual life. That we have spiritual life now. And eventually, the great promise of the totality of our salvation is that the spiritual will turn into bodily resurrection and our glorification in eternity. Greatest promise of all time. To save and to glorify that we will be made like the Son, the eternal Son, in glory. And that by virtue of Him who lives within us, we are being conformed to that image from glory to glory. A promise as sure and certain as God is very God. I stress the work of the Trinity because inherently and implicitly one is enough because each is eternal and co-equal. But it's a beautiful expression that the Trinity saves us. 
And while redundant, it's by the Spirit who dwells within us. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who indwells in you. Compound form of this verb used in verse 9. Often in Greek, the compound form intensifies the action of the simplex verb. But it is a great promise that God does forever. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. What agreement is the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Great promise. Generally, every Memorial Day, I go to the cemetery where my parents are laid to rest, both in the sovereign grace of God for Christians Not very far uh, from that grave, I, I can do an about face, 180 degree turn, if you will. There's this very sad scene of angels bowed down, resting their hands on some type of bench, and obviously the imagery is to project they are profoundly saddened, they're weeping. I do another 180 and I don't have to weep. Because I know the end of the age they will be resurrected. Because I know the Savior as well by the sovereign grace of God. I'll be with them in all eternity. Compelling, majestic promise based upon the work of God. In other words, we have the author of the decrees to save the Father, the agent of the Son to accomplish, and the agent of the Spirit to apply. We live in an age in which people are seemingly, to me, depressed and casting about for certainty. Well, it's in the Scriptures. It's in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The great work of a great God. If you do not know the Son, go to Him and sue for peace and forgiveness. He is a gracious Savior. Two centuries ago, an English clergyman and hymn writer by the name of Robert Robinson, began to drift and eventually left the ministry. He traveled to France where he sank further into sin and uh, totally lost his assurance. One night while riding in a carriage, a Parisian socialite who had recently come to faith was reading some poetry. And she recited uh, 
some of that poetry to uh, Robert in the carriage. It's from the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And she asked him what, what he thought of it. Robert was emotionally moved. He said, I wrote it. But I have drifted and cannot find my way back. Consoling him, she turned him to the very hymn he had written, Streams of Mercy, Never Ceasing. Here's my heart, though, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's what the Trinity does for the sons of God. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Who takes our heart and seals it for the courts above. It's a peculiar treasure of the sons of God. That very night, Robinson's assurance was restored because there is a guarantee in this life that really matters. That God guarantees our bodily resurrection for eternity. That we can hide in our hearts from now to the end. That what God does, He does forever.